Oh, he hit him right on top of the head with it. It's legal. Dylan! Dylan! No! Welcome to Last Match Standing, the podcast where we review, relive, and rank the 100 greatest wrestling matches of all time. As always, I'm Spencer. I'm Magnum Smollett. Are you all right? I'm great. Oh, hey, Landon. Oh, man. Welcome to episode 20. Of season one of Last Match Standing, man, oh man. 20? 20 episodes in. You mean our podcast can almost drink? Yeah, almost. You mean our podcast has probably been drinking for years? (laughs) That's exactly what we mean. That sounds about right. Last Drunk Standing. We talked about this. This is why the bar is coming. We did. We got to open that bar. Yeah, we have to. (laughs) Uh, Welcome back to the show. Super, super excited. It's Man, this is going to be such a fun episode. Uh, But before we get to, to, you know... 1985. I want to get to uh, right now. And uh, Dylan Haggett, the steamed ham champ, if you remember correctly, sent us an email um, about Undertaker CM Punk, which was our last match to make the list. He says, uh, I personally hated the feud between Punk and Taker because it was so disrespectful to Paul Bearer. People shit on the exploitation of Eddie Guerrero's death during Rey Mysterio's push in 2006, but don't seem to do it with this feud. They could have had Punk go after Taker to get revenge from their feud three and a half years prior in 2009. Yeah, that steamed ham is a little extra crispy about that one. I mean, I don't, I don't really blame him. I mean, I, I understand where he's coming from. Uh, I, I, I would, it's a little different because like the Eddie one, that, that went on for like an entire year to the point where it's like, why the fuck are you still talking about this? Uh, but at the same time, like they dropped the whole Paul Bear thing. Like, it's like the second that bell rang, that was done. Because I think they knew we should not have done this, but it got heat. The The build made me uncomfortable, too. It really did. Yeah, I think Dylan is absolutely spot on. I, yeah. I think that in the moment, like in 2013, there were two types of fans. The ones that really thought it was too far the second it happened, and ones that enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was. it's a lot easier to go back now and relive it six yeah. years later. Uh, because you can look at it like, you know... Outside of that moment, it's a really interesting storyline with two incredible characters. But in the in the moment, and Landon, you touched on this during the episode, uh, it it was a lot yeah. in some instances, and, and maybe it did cross the line in a lot of ways. So Dylan, we totally get it. Um, but I also, uh, Jen Robichaux um, also said that she agreed that Undertaker's entrance was the greatest of all time, and she, in fact, was there. Yeah, friend of the show. So if she says it, it's a fact. <laughs> so if you disagreed with me, I am sorry. But now from someone a, that was there, it's now just it's a fact. It's fact. It's not even an opinion. Um, you know, enjoy all your other Undertaker entrances, but this one at WrestleMania 29 was the best. <laughs> Would uh, you say it's the best in the world? Uh, be careful. <laughs> there are a few things you could ever say that are the best in the world that came from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Kevin Smith... Um, Uh, if you are listening to us on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever carmela's uh, onesie oh there that's a good one that's a good one uh wherever you're listening to us at listening to us at if you could uh rate us review us let us know how you're liking the show share us we'd love that so much we love to hear any and all of your feedback if you want to email us like dylan feel free to do that last match standing at gmail dot com uh, if you want to join our patreon page and become a patron whether you want to be quadruple h or or the what of Liechtenstein, what are, what yeah, are Lich- we Lichtenstein, the, yeah. champion. the champion, champion. Yeah, I, I was thinking like what's their ruler called yeah the champion of, of Liechtenstein, or if you want to be a slammy award winner uh, plenty of great perks you could be listening to this episode early right now perhaps exactly uh if if you join our patreon page uh we also have uh aew full gear has passed at this point. So um, hopefully you joined us on discord as a patron, if you were there for that as well. Um, But ultimately we are super excited to get through to today's match uh, because we've got some really cool stuff. We're going to have a season one finale. That's going to recap sort of everything that we've done so far through the first 20 matches. And we want to hear from you. If there is a match on the list that you think 
man, that one match, that one needs to be higher or that one needs to be lower. We want to hear from you. Hit us on Twitter, email us, Facebook us, whatever, however you want to get to us. Uh, definitely let us know in the next week or so because we'd love to take that feedback. And you never know what's going to happen on our season one finale as we recap everything next week for you. Uh, but let's get to here now. Let's get to this is Landon's match that he picked after winning the, the uh, Patreon exclusive trivia challenge. And it is 1985, November 28th from Greensboro, North Carolina and or Atlanta, Georgia. But in this instance, it's Greensboro, <laughs> North Carolina from the Greensboro Coliseum Complex. Magnum TA versus Tully Blanchard in an I quit steel cage match for the NWA United States Heavyweight Championship. This is Starcade 85, The Gathering. Is it a horror movie? Wasn't the yes. B- the Gathering <laughs> sounds like a horror movie to say, me. Wasn't Did you like watch the- this match? Yeah, it says yes. Yeah, I, I believe my exact quote was: "Are we watching wrestling? Or are we watching a snuff film?" Pretty much. It's it. Ugh. It's brutal. Very brutal. It's mm-hmm. intense, mm-hmm. and it's one of the greatest matches of all time. It's it's one of the greatest rivalries. One oh of the, yeah, one of the greatest uh, performances of hate. Oh yeah, because what's great about this match is. Um, it's just, it's a captivating story. It really is. Um, they, like, to be honest, they really don't do a whole, whole lot in this match, but like, you can just feel the hatred of both of these men. Like just from, as Tully's walking out to, and I, I looked it up there. No one seems to know what he actually walked to the ring to. <laughs> I've heard three different, three different possibilities, but even people who, who mention it, aren't sure so he walked to the ring to something they piped in some kind of generic stuff on yeah the network. from the network but um somebody said that they believe he walked out to either bob seeger or motley crew but did not list a song I'm like, oh thank you very much for that so who I, knows i would like to think that he walked out to motley crew he's like <laughs> okay i can kind of feel that motley crew all right let's do this 85 though smoking in the boys well room. this wouldn't have been no, that, that's, that's not i think that's like 87 um, but yeah, but he comes out and then T.A. is already in the ring, which kind of surprised me. Well, already in the ring. Well, apparently T.A. kind of arrived when he was in the ring. And they, you don't really see it, especially in the, in the network version, uh, because they were they were cutting back from the backstage area. But uh, T.A., when he's in the ring, there's like this smoke around him. And so it wasn't it wasn't completely without fanfare. Um, it was sort of this big like. I'm in the ring and I'm and I'm ready to go, you know, sort of exciting moment. But but you're right, we only see Tully come down to the ring. He he's the only one that gets an, a, a yeah. quote unquote entrance. And he's flanked by a baby doll. Who speaking of baby doll, this one we we get to this match uh, by another cage match containing both of these men for that U.S. title. So these men both had a cage match for the U.S. title. And that match was won because Baby Doll, who was disguised as a security guard, passed over Tully a foreign object. And initially, I had trouble finding out what that foreign object was, but I found an interview where Tully says, and I quote, when I hit Magnum with the ring of quarters, you could hear a pin drop in that arena. But once the referee counted to three, then we had a riot on our hands. Yeah, he says it was eerie quiet. Oh, yeah. In that building, which was July 21st, 1985. So only, uh, you know, five or so months prior to this happening. Uh, But that is, uh, you're right, how uh, the title switches hands before we get to this Starcade match. So uh, these guys have history. But let me me tell you, um, do you know how the baby doll got her nickname? Oh, my gosh. As I recall, it had something to do with the strip club. You're absolutely right. You, you spoiled my ending, but you're absolutely right. Uh, she's the perfect 10. That's, that's her nickname. That nick, was what it was. The perfect 10 uh, baby doll. Her, her name is, is Nicola Roberts is her name. And she said, listen, Nicola, not really a great name for a female manager. She said most of the guys were calling her baby doll anyway, so that's how it kind of stuck. But baby doll was the name of Tully's favorite strip club in <laughs> San Antonio. I oh, wow. about that. I'm like, it's so 80s to be named after that. Yeah, there you go. How about that? Wait a minute. So does that mean in kayfabe, Ty Dillinger is her son? <laughs> <laughs> the 
the perfect 10. Yeah, like, wait a minute. I'd buy it. <laughs> that, is, uh, I'd buy that is the chairman, Sean Spears. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Uh, and now it explains her throwing the chair in oh, in this Oh match. my god, it's like chairception, It all guys. comes full circle. <laughs> Unbelievable. Full circle? You mean the inner circle? Oh, so now, there it is. See? So now Jericho's involved? I mean, I actually meant to say full gear. Oh my god, the <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> but no, we're talking about Starcade 85, the third annual Starcade professional wrestling event. Mm-hmm. Um, it's under Jim Crockett Promotions, which is under the NWA banner. And, man, 1985. I mean, you've had WrestleMania 1 going on over at WWF. Six months earlier. Did you think that maybe... So this... We talked a little bit about this being held in two different arenas, and they just kind of went back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. Recently, on an episode of our spinoff podcast, Last Mania Standing, we covered WrestleMania 2. Which was held in three locations. Do we think... That may have had something to do with it. Do you I think don't know. they they have. saw an opportunity? Like maybe they thought, man, that them Jim Crockett folks are making twice as much money, uh, you know, recording in, in two arenas. I don't, I don't know. I'm trying to get the reason behind doing something like this. I definitely think that they saw that it was doable in it by NWA. Now, I don't think that that maybe they made that decision based off of it because if you if you're thinking about it. You know, WrestleMania 2 was 86. Yeah, it's a year later. So it it's really only five months, four or five months after this Starcade. Yeah, because this is November 28th. Like, WrestleMania 2 was in, like, late March. Right, so they could have seen how successful Starcade 85 was. But you think you think pro- things probably had to be planned already, um, at, the, at least at least building-wise, if you're going to start selling tickets and stuff like that. So yeah. maybe, maybe they knew that NWA Starcade was going to do this. Uh, and so they made it based off of those plans. But it, I, it's hard for me to say just based on time frame alone that they saw the success of Starcade of them doing it and then said, yeah, let's do it now. Yeah. Um, they might have they might have felt a lot better about it. You if, know what I mean? If anyone knows for sure yeah, let why, us know. Yeah. I, I would love to know why this multi-venue pay-per-view or, or you know, closed circuit broadcast was so interesting to, to uh, promoters back then. I just, I, I don't get it because to me you're cheating half of your audience mm-hmm. out of great matches that they could be, you know, like I, I just don't get it. Well, I think it's a, like uh, it's very telling that you don't hear about them doing this kind of stuff anymore or like in the past, whenever WWE has tried to do different, like two things, when they did like raw 25, they had a few segments that happened in a different location that evidently nothing was happening and the fans that paid way more money than the people in the Barclays Center did not were not happy about that and made it very, very clear like during the channel like they're chanting like we went wrestling or we're boring or et cetera. But uh, yeah, I'd be fascinated to know. Yeah. Another another question that comes to mind when you think about Starcade, uh being the 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 big event of the year. It always had a big match feel. It had to have something like the first Starcade. It was you know uh, the you know the the huge huge matchup between Harley Race and Ric Flair. Yeah, and Flair then the, for the gold. And then the second Starcade in in eighty four was uh, Dusty and Flair, but it was for one million dollars was on the line, including the championship. And so it always had to be something huge. And obviously the the Flair and Rhodes going at it again uh, in eighty five was the mm-hmm. big big deal. Um, but this is three years of Starcade, and you see WrestleMania come out in 1985 after Starcade had already been around for two years. You think that's why we got WrestleMania? I imagine so, yeah. I'm but, sure it plays a big part. Because like Vince wasn't doing shows like this. He would just do his regular circuit, like they would do television. They had their house shows, and that was pretty much it. They have their big, like their Madison Square show, but that was that was a house show. Mm-hmm. And I think he saw Starcade was being very successful and said, you know, maybe we should we should capitalize on this. And he did. Well, it, it was our it was our first couple of super cards. Yeah. So to speak. And so, sure, you follow in Starcade's footsteps with their with their super card plan and you put on WrestleMania. And I mean, Starcade was successful for a long time. You know, up the last 19, Starcade was what two two thousand. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we have Starcade around for a while, and WrestleMania, of course, has outlived that for a lot of different reasons. Um, but it actually, it absolutely makes sense that that maybe Vince saw sort of the 
the building blocks around Starcade and thought, surely I can do that. And of course, in, in fashion, he tried to one up it every time. <laughs> Did you notice how many belts were on the line on this card? Yeah. <laughs> there were six title changes at Starcade 85. The Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship, the National Heavyweight Championship, the United States Heavyweight Championship, which we'll discuss in this match, mm-hmm. the World Tag Team Championship, the National Tag Team Championship, and the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. All of these titles are under the NWA, National Wrestling Alliance, umbrella, but the way that the territories were were broken down, they had so many belts under the NWA umbrella. And the reason they were being defended at Starcade, the reason so many belts were getting folded into Jim Crockett promotions was because WWF was expanding nationally. They're making deals with USA Network to broadcast all over the country. So you see these localized promotions like Mid-Atlantic which was under the NWA umbrella, but technically its own organization. Right. It, they had to shut their doors. They got folded into Jim Crockett, right. which is doing well. Yeah, And exactly. so they, they just couldn't compete. And so they had their best stars going on to greener pastures. AWA, Hulk Hogan, jump ship. Stampede Wrestling, Bret Hart, jump ship. And it wasn't until Turner bailed out Crockett with the formation of WCW that WWF had any real competition. And, you know, we all know how that turned out. Yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> you know what is, is so fascinating to me about this Starcade? Um, one is just the depth of the feuds that we see. You know, we could talk about Rhodes and Flair, of course, but focusing in on, on Magnum TA and Tully Blanchard, it didn't get much more personal than this. No. Oh, it, it blows my mind that almost at the same time, we talked about it. What, five months later, we get WrestleMania two. And if you compare the WrestleMania 2 card to the Starcade 85 card, it's no comparison. No. Like the re- quality of wrestling you're getting with the NWA is just insane. But for some reason, you've got the WWF taking over everything with, you know, Hulk Hogan could go, okay, sure. But the quality wasn't there. Go back and watch WrestleMania 2. Yeah, and if and if you're not if you're not sure about it, listen to our reliving of it on Patreon because it's it was a piece of work to get through for sure. I'm I, I'm very confident you'll be far more entertained by us talking about it than actually watching. Yeah, it. yeah, that, that's for sure. Uh, but when when you talk about uh, Magnum TA and you talk about Tully Blanchard, you talk about two guys that have some of the best work ethics in the history of the business. And they just had a really great philosophy on how they wanted to be portrayed and how they wanted the fans to see them. So, uh, for instance, both of these guys um, really believed in something that Johnny the Champ Valentine used to say. Um, they, uh, Johnny Valentine used to say, I can't, believe, I can't make them believe wrestling is real, but I sure can make them believe I am real. Yes. And Tully, Tully Blanchard's own dad. Uh, said 95% of the people that come to a wrestling match believe it's not real. But when Dick the Bruiser and Cowboy Bob Ellis go at it, that's real. And so that's what T.A. and Blanchard wanted to be. They wanted to be that 5%. They wanted to be that 5% that people thought the rest of this show might not be completely real, but these two guys, when they get in the ring, my God, that's real, and that's a fight. If I had to sum up this match in a four-letter word... It would be real. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You are buying it the whole time. First of all, for for me, because it doesn't feel like a wrestling match all the time. It feels like a very legitimate fight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were points we were watching this where I'm sitting here thinking like, well, Jesus Christ, is he actually trying to kill him? Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely feels that way. And it feels like... These guys, like, you know, when you watch current wrestling now or just wrestling in general, um, you know, you see somebody do a springboard and flip in the air. That's that's not natural. Like, you no. wouldn't do that if you were actually fighting. And when you when you look at this I Quit match, there is a moment where uh, where Tully Blanchard climbs the, the cage, jumps onto the top rope, and then just dives off that top rope onto... Uh, on 2TA. 
and when I saw it, I just thought, man, that looked natural. It's not pretty. You know, no, it, it was not pretty at all. <laughs> it's not pretty in any way, shape, or form, but it's real. Yeah, it, it wasn't like nothing they did in this match was had the intention of being pretty. They were trying to hurt each other. They were trying to embarrass, humiliate each other. I mean, this match wastes no time. Yeah, so you know they they do hate each other, but but why do they hate each other? Coming into this match, you knew they hated each other. But Paul, what led to this to make you think that? Well, um, there's a lot of conflicting stories between story like, between what, what happened in storyline and what happened in real life. But at, at the outset, I mean, Tully Blanchard basically made his name by feuding with the likes of like Wahoo McDaniel's and Dusty Rhodes, Terry Allen, you know, Magnum. He was only really been in the business for. Not that long, to be honest. He had been in the business for a couple of years, but the 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 rumors that I always heard was that Terry Allen was in a relationship with Tully Blanchard's ex-wife. That's the story I always heard, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that kind of bled into the storylines that they had on television. Uh, now, the 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 word in the street was that these men in real life shoot just despise, did not like each other, but. Tully Blanche was the kind of guy that even if he would just as soon stab you in the back or shoot you, if he knew he could make money with you, he would do it. Yeah, absolutely. And Blanchard at this point was 31 years old and T.A. was 26. 26. So young. 26. And these guys had a mission. Yes, they did not like each other for all those reasons you just said, but they knew that the crowd was going to pay to watch them beat the hell out of each other and they did (laughs) they really really did but what i think is really funny is um how terry allen you know magnum got the name magnum how's that so uh, about a year before this i couldn't find the exact date but he uh, when he first put in the business a lot of times when you're green they would stick you with a pro and you're basically like you were their chauffeur he was assigned to Andre the Giant. He was Andre's chauffeur for like the 83, 84 like, tour. So was it based off of the size of Andre's condoms? <laughs> no. Uh, Terry said in an interview that uh, they were getting lunch one day. And he had uh, his hair was a little bit, he had, he had the mullet, but it was a little bit shorter. And he had this beautiful bushy mustache. And they were at getting lunch and he was wearing Hawaiian shirt and jeans. And then Andre just goes, hey, Terry, you look like that Tom Schiller guy. You should be called Magnum T.A. That guy back to Dusty and I said, that's your name, Magnum T.A. So Andre gave the name. Andre really? said, you look, you look, you should be Magnum T.A. Paul, listen, I realize that's a relevant story, but I just know you only told that story so that you could use your Andre impression. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> he doesn't deny it. No, maybe. Uh, so the main thing I know about Magnum T.A., is he was one of the most beloved guys oh, yeah. in the the that time period, the early '80s time period, um, and it's a shame we didn't get to see a little bit more of him, right? No, we did not. Um, but I also know that apparently he was being groomed by Dusty Rhodes he to was. be the next guy. Magnum TA was going to be, you know, Hogan caliber guy. He could have done it. He could he have been very there. well could have done it, and I would have loved to see, you know, uh, you know, Magnum TA versus Bret Hart, Magnum TA versus Sting, you know, these kind of things. Which I mean, maybe they would have happened, uh, maybe earlier in both of those guys' careers, and I just, I just missed it. But, but to see them in their prime doing that work in a main event level would have been a treat. Oh yeah, because I mean, he goes on a few with Ric Flair for the world title after this, so like he was like. He was about to explode as the next big guy. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, less than a year after this, Magnum TA was in a car accident. He mm-hmm. was driving home after a show. It had been raining. It was a very, very windy road. He hid plane and he hit a utility pole. And it took them about three hours to get him out of that car. And he was paralyzed. Like, I'm talking quadriplegic. Nothing below the neck. But after a lot of surgery, they got a lot of bone, like, like uh, bone spurs out and went to therapy for like months and months. And he actually was able to walk again, but like he can't wrestle anymore. Yeah. And he was 27 years old. Damn. 
It is it is one of the biggest what if cases because like you guys said he was on this meteoric rise and, and thanks in large part to this feud right that we're covering right now uh, so to know that his in ring career really ends a year later is is a bummer you know a lot, two years later or less and um, we are glad though that. In his short wrestling career, we were able to get one of the 100 greatest wrestling matches yeah. of all time. <laughs> nice segue. Yeah. <laughs> and probably the best pair of cowboy boots to step oh, foot in. Man, those boots are great. The boots, <laughs> they the are. mullet, the mustache. And you can hear all of the women in that crowd <laughs> because that they are they love him so much. Here's the, the thing. Cheers. Here's the thing about the women. Like Magnum T.A. was supposed to be this good guy, right? He was, you know, huge, huge face. But the build for this one is a little disturbing. So Magnum is, there's, a, 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 at some point in time, he's going after Baby Doll, and he forces himself on her and says, she likes it, she likes it. Well, 1985, ladies and gentlemen. Not good. Not, no. not good. <laughs> See, I was going to skim over all that. Yeah, no, I didn't want to skim over that because, I, I, you know, as much as I, I love Magnum as a wrestler and I wish we could have seen more. Right. And this isn't necessarily a knock on him. It's a knock on, you know. It's a knock on the business. It's a knock on society at the time. Yeah. I mean, 1985, we should be past this, guys. Like, this is not acceptable. They were doing shit like that in the late 90s. So, I mean. Well, yeah. I mean. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Yeah, yeah. Lucy's aggression error. That's all I gotta say. So, so let's let's focus in now. Uh, November twenty eighth, nineteen eighty five. Uh, on commentary, Paul, I love I love this because when when we were watching this match, you said, "Ah, oh, I recognize that voice on commentary." <laughs> right? We got Tony Schiavone and Bob Iger, or Caudle. Caudle, I'm as sorry. well. Yeah, sorry. yeah, no, yeah, you're absolutely right. But Tony Schiavone, that's the voice that that you definitely remember. Oh yeah, yeah and that that, that stands out instantly. He was, uh, he was the voice of JCP. Yeah, and this is our second Bob Caudle match on on our list of the greatest ever because um, he was on the call for Flair and Steamboat. So there you go. Bob Caudle didn't know uh, he'd be around so much. Uh, referee, come on, guys, a treat. 1985. Earl Hebner is Baby Hebner. Woo! He still has all his hair. It's amazing. <laughs> he d- yeah, he yeah, does yeah, have all his hair. He's not selling t-shirts in the parking lot yet either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's really fun. So we talked about the entrances just a little bit. Uh, but as, as uh, Tully gets into the ring uh, with Baby Doll, um, Tom Miller is the ring announcer for this half of Starcade, And he's wearing a phenomenal, like, burgundy suit. <laughs> it's real good. You could see it from the rafters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I would wear that. I'm wearing it right now. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering why. Is, this, yeah. is that what's blinding me right yeah, now? It is. It is. It is. Uh, but when he announces uh, Magnum TA, he announces him as the vastly popular <laughs> Magnum TA, which I think is hysterical. He was. need to do that because, I mean, the crowd reaction told you that. You yeah, he it. absolutely was. I just, like, could you imagine, like, if... Like, this is what WWE should have done when, when Roman Reigns is getting booed out of the building when they wanted to be the top face so bad. <laughs> the, the vastly, vastly popular, popular Roman Reigns. <laughs> the super shitty... <laughs> right. Sheamus. It's just, we got to get this guy over as, as like a heel. Uh, what do we do? It's just like, uh, have the Sheamus. despicable... Oh, wait, that's probably actually a thing they did. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> A disgusting, sniveling, suffering succotash, y'all. Man, I just made me laugh a lot. I just thought it was pretty funny that that's how they <laughs> <laughs> like cheer for this guy. <laughs> you know, which no, is, yeah. So, um, anyway, it's a steel cage match. It's an I quit match. Hebner's testing the microphone halfway through the match. <laughs> hey, you forgot. Oh my god, you forgot, and you do sort of forget because of how intense this match is, oh, yeah, that this five. is for the NWA United States Championship. Yeah, let me tell you something. That's something that, that you see in the beginning, like the belt shown up, Hebner, you know, parades it around, and then you don't think about the belt until the end. No, you really don't, because they don't talk about the belt on commentary. They talk about just what these men are doing to each other. I mean, now, I quit matches were not that common, at least not on television anyway. You didn't see them very often because they usually were these knockout, dragout brawls. So to put that into a cage match, it's like, oh man, what's like anything goes. I mean, it's just 
what I think is interesting about this is those first two to three minutes, it's not really like they're 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 going hell for leather. Like they're they're beating each other. They're like there's a lot of eye raking, a lot of eye gouging. Which oh yeah, oh there's a lot of strangle like strangling going on. And then I just but the the story we're kind of getting is Tully is going is doing whatever he can. He's going after Magnum's eyes. He's trying to strangle him. He, at one point, he gets the microphone cable around his neck and tries to choke him out while screaming, "Say I quit, say it!" And and then <laughs> Landon hinted this earlier. He goes, "Ah, ah, no!" Oh, the guttural screams in this match just make it so real. I mean, it it, it kind of gives me chills when I watch it. And I'm just like, you took the idea that like this has been a war beforehand but this is a war and it's it's barely three minutes in this match before magnum gets hurled into the cage and gets busted open oh the aura of determination and machismo emanating from magnum <laughs> it just like this is you know right He's after standing there just standing there he's like i'm the fucking man okay well he he has a luscious blonde mullet oh that's he has thick hair I mean, I, I literally said this is like blonde Scott Hall. He looks to me like a cross between uh, Sid Vicious and Brian Pillman. Hmm. That's okay. Yeah, you see it a little bit ha- more handsome though. <laughs> oh, he's super handsome. This is a ruggedly handsome man. Oh, he's got the he's got the Rick Rude stash. So there you go. Oh, you know, he's got the Tom Selleck stash. This is uh, this is something that Jesse Ventura would have said: ruggedly handsome. That's the phrase that, that Jesse Ventura would have used to describe Magnum T.A. He is. I mean, he's got barrel chested and he's got a chest hair. Come on. I can't keep my pants on, gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I like that a lot. Oh, man. But just, but what, what I find fascinating is as soon as he gets busted open, what's the first thing that Tully Blanchard does? He starts ripping at the cut. He gets his, his fingers oh, yeah. and oh. he starts biting him on the forehead. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, man, that's how you get hepatitis. Well, it, it almost was like that was the goal in this match for a little while. because <laughs> Give your opponent a hepatitis match. <laughs> There's a lot of biting near like cuts and bleeding. Yeah, because T.A., after, so he gets his face busted open, right? But then uh, Tully, he gets thrown into the cage too, but his arm. Oh, he gets this really sick cut in his arm. It, lo- and- it looks like there's this big open wound yeah. on his arm almost. And it looks like Magnum, Magnum is just bites rip- it. Yeah, he's biting it and it's like he's ripping the skin apart. It's, guys, it's nasty. Like it's 1985. It's nasty. This, yeah, is, I just- this match was extremely ahead of its time. It was extremely brutal. It was very rough. So there was a right hand from oh. Magnum that knocks Tully on his ass and threw <laughs> the ropes. He yeah. hits the cage. <laughs> I was like, yes. And, you know, it, one thing that was kind of distracting for me was you could see the microphone in the corner of the yeah. cage the yeah. whole match. And it's got this long cord. It's just like this is before they had the, the wireless well, they, mics. They used it as a weapon. They did. There's like, it was uh, after Magnum gets busted open, Tully immediately has the microphone in his mouth and he's screaming, say I quit. And he's like, no, nah, no. And so what, what Tully does is he starts digging the microphone into the open cut and yeah, he's it, hitting him in the they forehead with it. everything they can as a weapon. It's so uh, intelligent. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and then like, the to, smoothest to fight, blade job in history. Oh, yeah, because we, 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 we could not find it. We looked for that blade job. Well, I, I didn't see the Tully one, but when Magnum hits the cage he pops back off the cage and rolls across the center of the ring and his arms just sort of slide across his head and it's so smooth like there's just no way you would have known i mean this is this isn't wrestlemania 2 king Kong bundy gets thrown to the cage and the camera does a a slow-mo zoom in as he's blading this is like a was it a blade job or did he move his arms to trick people like us who thought it was the blade job I, i need you to stop saying blade job He's just working. The, he's working us like thirty-four years ago. <laughs> he said, "Surely in 2019 there'll be three guys in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They're going to talk about this, and they won't know." <laughs> you know what I really appreciated in the middle of this match that had nothing to do with the match? Earl Hebner testing the microphone. Oh, oh yeah. God. <laughs> 
<laughs> we're all going like, what the fuck was that? And then you look over and there's Earl in the Earl, corner. He's not even watching him wrestling. He's got, he's got his hairs. He's got bangs in his yeah. eyes. He's like, it, it was one of those moments. Like, it, it reminds me of my wedding. So at my wedding, Hope and I are up there. And we're going through, uh, you know, we're, we're getting to the part where we're about to exchange rings or something. And then the priest turns to me and he's just like, guys, I got to tell you, I, I, I forgot to do the uh, I forgot to do the flower bit with your moms. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like Earl had this moment in the middle of the ring where he's just like. Did I check the microphone? <laughs> it's like, oh, did, did I leave the oven on? Oh, by the <laughs> way, while he's checking the microphone, Tully is trying to gouge out Magnum's eyes. Yeah. Yeah, it, it looks really brutal. Like, <laughs> it literally looks like he's trying to gouge that. Like, you see, like, little eye pokes in other, like, like Ric Flair will do an eye poke every now and then. This oh, was something else. Tully has, like, his fingers, like, dug into Magnum's forehead. It's scary. And it's it's sold so well because the way they do this and make it so believable is I think maybe he had his fucking eyes his fingers in his eyes. But another <laughs> thing that they do to make it so believable is Magnum puts his arms above his like over his face. He puts his hands above like over Tully's hands. Mm-hmm. And so you can't actually see exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. but it looks so genuine and Well that's how you react. You try to pull screaming. His hands away. Oh yeah, like you mentioned, like guttural scream. Yes, like, well, they're, and, they're horrifying. And a lot of that's because well, Tully's in control of this match for oh, for yeah. the middle part of this match, for most of that middle part of this match, and he's using the microphone constantly. So the microphone pretty much stays near where they are in the middle of the ring. So all we're hearing is amplified by that microphone because, and, as Earl Hebner showed us, it does work. Oh yeah, and there's a point in how often we're going to say this while calling a match. We get this beautiful moment where. It, the men actually do hit the ropes and then uh, Magnum does like he picks him up like he's going to do a, a military press and then drops him to a stun gun on the top rope. And I'm like, oh, and somewhere a young Steve Austin said, oh, stun gun. <laughs> that's an idea for a move. Magnum goes to ask Tully to quit with the microphone and uh, Tully says no. And at, at this point, Magnum is like standing and he's got like this power stance over him, and it's yeah. just a really good silhouette moment. And uh, he's got the microphone down to Tully, and Tully says no, and headbutts TA in, we'll call it the lower abdomen. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this match is just extremely physical from bell to bell. And they uh, just start, once again, biting, scratching, clawing. Microphone shots are super stiff. Um, at one point, really fun moment of this match, Tully goes for the pin. Just yeah. <laughs> on instinct. And Henry just stands there. That's such a real moment. That's yeah. just it's like, a, I'm a pro wrestler. Big move. Pin. Oh, shit. I can't win that way. I loved it. And then, yeah, I love it too. He, he goes for an elbow drop. A big elbow drop. And he misses that big elbow drop. Ooh, and then Magnum gets that microphone and starts grinding it into into Tully's forehead. Yeah, he misses the elbow drop. And there's a huge pop from the crowd. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he gets that microphone into his into his forehead, and he starts gets the microphone into the shoulder, and he starts choking him with the microphone cord. I'm like, oh my god, please stop this, stop this match. Well, Tully was was ahead and and was really controlling for so much that when he does miss that elbow, the crowd's like, oh, finally, like there's here a go. chance here, like this is Magnum's moment. He's he's gonna make it happen. He goes, we got a ten punch spot. I'm like, yeah, ten punch, and then immediately an inverted atomic drop. It's a it's a tough like. You know, sometimes you see an inverted atomic drop, and you're like, "All right, that's a low blow." But this one looked painful. That was a low blow. Well, yeah, it was from the middle rope. Yeah, it, yeah. Like he was up there. I've n- I don't think I've ever seen one done from the middle rope before. Not, not like that. No, and definitely not this stiff. Right. And, and this is where the match changes. This is this is where it goes from brutal to and just, tough to sadistic. Oh yeah, because like after that happens, Tully. Chucks Earl Hefner out of the way. Hits the he hits the um the cage, and then I was like, "Whoa!" There's a chair in the ring. Where the hell did that come from? Baby doll threw a wooden chair over the cage in the middle of the ring, and it explodes when it hits the the ring. Well, no, so it's fine when it gets in the ring, but then Tully takes it. takes the chair and just looks like he might he might do something with it, and then just smashes it to the ground. Everyone's like, "What is he well, doing? Why the hell did he do that?" And it's a wooden chair, so it splinters. And he takes up a big old forearm-sized shard of that, and he tries to stab 
Magnum in the forehead with it. Yeah, so so two things about that. One of them is that he, he literally kicks Earl Hebner. Like, just kicks him. And Well, it, before he kicks him, he throws him halfway across the ring like a sack of potatoes. Right, right. He throws him, and then once he's walking around Magnum, he it's like he passes Earl again. So he's like, well, okay, let me just kick you again. So he kicks him, and this is the type of kick that if Earl Hebner took that at any point during his WWF career... Um, he'd be sleeping for an hour. Right, right. But he seems fine. So Young, younger. Uh, yeah, so here's much, the thing. Younger. Here's the thing about the chair. Um, Alan says about that chair, he says, the way the chair broke just made the nastiest weapon. Uh, that was just total happenstance. They threw this wooden chair in there, and we just figured it would break, and there'd be this little piece of wood. But it made the ghastliest-looking spike of all time. Oh, it's like two or three different points that all like made this fork. I mean, how lucky, it's gross. how lucky were they? Right. Like, because that chair breaks any other way, and we might not get that perfect stake. Like, yeah, I mean, it could splinter, and you get up something like the size of somebody's finger, which you wouldn't, the crowd wouldn't be able to see it because it's too small. But, but it, it would have worked on camera. It would have. Yeah. But instead, it looks like, and you can, you can hold it because it looks like it has a handle in, like, and the crowd can see it. It looks like a pickaxe. It does. But when he starts trying to drive it into Terry's eye, you can hear the entire audience just go, <gasps> And it's just, it's, it's hard to watch. And it's a good like minute of him just trying to drive it into Terry's eye. And, and all of this happened and you hear baby doll screaming mm-hmm. from the, it's like you're watching a horror movie. Yeah. yeah. She's like, and then just like, Oh God dear. And then Terry just starts throwing knees, whatever he can. He, he knees Tully in like the ribs. He needs Tully in the head. And then he gets that piece of wood and it, then it, it Oh he drives it directly into Tully's forehead, and then just blood starts just pooling out, and he's just screaming, "Ask him, ask him!" And then, surely enough, Earl says, "Do you quit?" And Tully goes, "Ah, yes, ah!" And then, like the amount of blood, just, it it is just cascading down his forehead while this is going on. And this is 1985, like you. The, what makes this match so special for me is it's not. A technical amateur wrestling match. It's not a hardcore wrestling match with flame and tables and barbed wire steel chair shots. This is what happens when two men who hate each other are standing across from each other in a literal cage like caged animals. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. It's, I mean, when Magnum notices the blood on Tully's arm, he starts biting it. Like things like that happen in this match. It was dark. Very dark. But what, like, what, for me, the most important moment in this is after Magnum wins, he's hand, like, before he grabs the belt, he grabs another, another larger piece of wood and he charges over to Tully like he's going to stab him with it. And then he just throws it down and then takes the belt from Earl and leaves the cage. And Tully is shivering in fear well, and he's, pain. Like he's like, lost a pint of blood. And it, it makes you, it leaves this this lasting image that tells you about the kind of man that Magnum is and what he just did yeah, and he, what he, he could have done. And later he says, at that point in time, the fans really thought we were going to kill each other. But I said I would let him live. It was like I was ready to run this right through his skull, but I finally threw it down and walked away. That was the conclusion of the match. But the visual effect was tremendous. Oh, the look in his eyes, because they do a tight, shot of him holding oh, that piece of wood there is a perfect shot of him holding it up and considering finishing him off like there's, right? like it, there's murderous intent in those eyes and he doesn't do it but Tully Blanchard and both of you guys are going to know how much sense this makes Tully Blanchard later says like in interviews later I never said I quit he didn't never never would I say I quit he all he said was yes quit. Earl asked him do you give up and he said yes so, or, you know, that could have been out of pleasure. You know, if he really likes the pain, he could have been, yes, yes. <laughs> are you, are you, I guess that's his defense. So what you're saying is Clive Barker was watching this and then wrote the Hellbound Heart. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Who the hell is Clive Barker? Hellraiser. <laughs> oh, gotcha. <laughs> that's exactly what you were saying. Exactly. Who's that guy? <laughs> um, man. So let's do favorite moments. Um, oh, this bad ending. Yeah, I I think I, I think I'm gonna agree with you that the the finish the the image where Magnum TA just could have you know in your mind as and the fans watching it 
and they were rooting it on. They wanted oh, yeah, it to happen. Cheering for it. He could have killed Tully Blanchard. I mean, Tully was a despicable heel. Right. He he was one of the very best heels. I and mean, this is literally the night that the four horsemen formed. Oh yeah, like the, later they, 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 they form officially like like the next like TV taping. Yeah, but they exactly. They're, they're not called the four horsemen for about another two or three weeks. But like the the main event of this show, which happens in Atlanta, is uh, Rhodes and Flair, like the rematch. And that one ends in like the dusty finish where there's a dirty finish with dusty. It's overturned literally the next night. And then Arn Anderson, Ole Anderson, Ric Flair, and then Tully Blanchard comes in to help them beat down uh, dusty Rhodes. And like a week later, Arn Anderson cuts this promo. He says, never before have so few like caused so much havoc. You have to go back to the time, the, the old days where the four horsemen of the apocalypse and he helped his four hand, fingers and then that was it. And then Ric Flair said that it was actually about two or three weeks of Chance just holding up the four and chanting horsemen at the horsemen and so they became the four horsemen. And that's like the most important like stable in the history of professional wrestling. Right, right. And so that speaks to exactly how the fans felt about Tully Blanchard at this moment because he was just literally days away from joining that stable. You know, so the just having a Magnum TA, this this guy that the fans love, the women love, and he was about to kill Tully Blanchard and then chooses to just walk away. I brilliant. I mean, just brilliant. Very very powerful moment. Landon, your favorite moment? I uh, probably. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, how do you not love the uh, the awesome? Uh, you know, picture perfect moment of uh, T.A. making the decision, uh, you know, standing over Tully, a shaking, scared Tully with uh, baby doll crying, covered in blood uh, and, and choosing to walk away. I mean, it's just a great moment. Yeah. You know, it's also a great moment. Um, we, we mentioned a couple of times how this show was simulcast from two locations. One location Greensboro, North Carolina. You have a location, Atlanta, Georgia. And we discussed this briefly before the mics went on. After, because we watched the entire show. And about, what's about four or five minutes in the main event, I'm sitting there going like, wow, that fan's really, really annoying. There is this one fan in Atlanta. Oh. Oh, woo, no. Woo, 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 woo. I'm very glad this match took place in Greensboro. Rick no Flair kidding. had just started oh, doing the boy. woo. And there's this one fucking fan. Knock, knock, Spencer. Who's there? Woo! 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 The whole fucking match. Oh, it's. Oh, it's God. Yeah, it's Maybe. bad. And he and I don't. He either was holding the microphone or he was right next to it, right next to the camera, whatever. He was so Because loud. you would hear him the entire time. We that couldn't main event. hear the commentary because this guy was being so fucking loud. Oh. Spo- we, we, we were going to talk about that match, but we decided not to. All thanks to that guy. Thanks, guy. Woo. 34 years what ago. We, what do we call him? Woo. Woo, woo, woo. Wait, oh, no. Wait, 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 what about Zack Ryder's dad? <laughs> <laughs> That's a new Patreon tier. There it is. Zack Ryder's dad. There it is. <laughs> uh, well, now, here we go. The, for the last time in season one, we have to rank it. We've done it 19 times before. You know what the easiest one was? The first the one. The first one. <laughs> Nothing to defend against. That, this one is, was, that one was easy. This is going to be pretty hard. It's, it's got 19 matches to contend with. exponentially harder since then. Uh, and if I remember correctly, Landon pressured me. He almost bullied me into going first last time. I listened to it today. He did bully he you. Did, <laughs> he bullied me. Uh, so uh, here we are. We have 19 matches to go through. Um Tully Blanchard, Magnum TA, in what is widely considered one of the greatest NWA matches of all time. And I think since Landon picked the match, it's only fair if Landon ranks the match first. You know, <laughs> Paul, I don't think you have ranked it first yet. Oh, have you? Uh, or you may have, but you didn't last it's week. It's been a minute. <laughs> You didn't last week. I'm pretty sure the last time I went first was Triple H and Shawn Michaels. <laughs> so I, th- I think you're due. Okay. I'll go last if it was mine, right? All this right. is mine. Oh, yeah, mine. yeah, yeah. I'll, I just need some time. Okay. okay. So that being said, if I'm going first, 
then it's only fitting that this is number one. Just kidding. Um, is it? I wouldn't say number one. You know, though, <sighs> I really am strongly considering Man. this as like a top ten contender. This is, this was this is a very very poignant match. Although we always go down the rabbit hole of is it better than this match? Is it better than this match? Is it better than this match? So I think the most fair thing to do is what's the most brutal knockdown drag out brawl we've covered so far? And that would be Cactus Jack and Triple H. So I would, my first thing is I would put it right there. Another just crazy wild brawl was Mike Awesome and Tanaka. So I think about it, okay, is it better than that match? And I think it is. So. My next guess would be, okay, what's right above Awesome and Tanaka? That's the Royal Rumble 1992. The Royal Rumble 1992, there is no blood. There's no eye gouging. <laughs> there's no attempted murder. <laughs> but that is just such a fantastic match. So I think I would put it at number 14 and bump down Mike Awesome and Tanaka. Wow. Number 14. Yes. There are 14 <sighs> woot. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Hmm. Number 14. Interesting. So uh, I don't like ranking things. <laughs> it's very difficult. <laughs> well, lot, that's it, folks. It. Yeah, uh, see this you is guys our last later. episode. Uh, no, I mean, we knew this going in that it was going to get harder and harder. And the thing is about this match that I'm finding particularly difficult is that I don't think it's like anything else on the list. Even when you talk about Cactus Stack Triple H, like I understand why we want to compare it to that. And especially Austin and Tanaka just because of how, um, you know, hardcore it is. I think this match is so different. Oh, it is. This is like all drama, all storytelling. And it's just a fight. You know, I it like is. this. I, this is not one of the 100 greatest wrestling matches of all time. It's one of the 100 greatest fights. Oh, yeah. Of all time. And it's a great match at Starcade. And it's, it's one of the greatest feuds of all time. So it absolutely deserves a spot on this list. Um, you know, I always like to start. Should it be in the top 10 or should it not? Uh, I am very back and forth on that. Um, I, I also am thinking about the the time that this match took place. So 1985, the closest that we have to that is uh, Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat. And I just, these matches are so different. It's it's almost yeah, apples I mean, and oranges. That's four years later. Right. And the business had changed so much. Yeah. So uh, kind of taking your route, Paul, um, I also would put it above Awesome and Tanaka. Um, I would actually put it at number 12 underneath really? Eddie and Ray and right above Angle and Undertaker um, just because this is such a literal blood feud uh, and literally, one, yes, one that leaves us with some of the, uh, the most lasting images uh, in wrestling history, particularly um, in, from 1985. I mean, in a time where you, you have Starcade, you have WrestleMania, you have um, Flair and Rhodes, and, and you get this feud. Uh, when when you're left here with Magnum TA deciding not to murder yeah, <laughs> Telly murder Blanchard, um, you know it's I don't know. That's where I'm. That's where I'm going to say right now, okay. and we'll see what Landon says and how we go there. No pressure, Landon. He might. I mean, Landon, for all we know, could have could have thought top five, and 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 he could persuade us that way. I don't know what he's thinking, uh, mostly because he's being very stoic. <laughs> Very Magnum-esque right now. Oh, ruggedly handsome. That's Landon right now. I have no idea. Oh, <laughs> so that's why you wanted to go last. It's so difficult to rank this one for all the reasons that you said. Yeah, I feel like this is another match. And we've had a couple on this list so far that you can totally see where some listeners are going to think top five. And you can totally see where some listeners are going to think bottom five. <sighs> okay. If I look at what it's most like, I agree that it's probably most like Cactus Jack versus Triple H, but it's better than that. The next thing it's most like is Ric Flair and Steamboat just based off of the time period and just the like the ambiance. Um, that's the kind of crowd they have. You know, obviously it's the, the NWA, WCW kind of world. Flair and Steamboat is one of the greatest wrestling matches of all time. Uh, one of the greatest rivalries, one of the greatest stories ever told in a wrestling ring. Don't think it quite reaches that caliber. No, I wouldn't say so. But I think there's something to be said for two men going into a cage and having the I Quit match to define what an I Quit match is. 
I don't think there was an I Quit match after that match that wasn't judged against this match. Probably not. Um, so it is important. Um, That's a really great point. I think if I'm looking at top 10, it's better than Charlotte, Sasha, Becky. It's better than Nakamura, Ibushi. So I guess I would be inclined to put it at number nine. Uh, right under the Styles, Joe, Daniels, Unbreakable three-way. Boy. But that's just my opinion. That is a very All right, we'll leave it there. We'll see you guys later. <laughs> oh, no, Season two. No, 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 uh, no, no, no. We're not quite we're there, not yet. there yet. All right, okay. we got to have a little more discussion. Yeah. Okay, so I said 14. You said 12. I did. And you said 9. Okay. Normally, we would immediately go, want to make the distance, but actually, I, I actually want to open the floor on this one. Okay. I did not disagree with anything either of you said. I, but I do think that I fell into that trap of this is an older match and it's more story than wrestle. Well, I would be inclined to agree with Landon on this one because Nakamura and Ibushi is a very, very similar match. It are two guys that hit each other and they beat the shit out of each other. The only real difference is they weren't an occasion. There wasn't any blood. There was no attempted murder. But... That is probably the most similar to this on our list right now. So, Landon, I don't often say this, but I think you're right. Spencer? Damn it. <laughs> uh, you know what won me over was your comment about the I Quit match. Because I think it, it has stood the test of time in that, in that regard. And I do think that I Quit matches today are compared to that match. Um, I think that there are still few times in professional wrestling history that we've reached that level of brutality um, in a way that was believable. This is very believable. In a way that was believable because we've seen some absurd things and we've seen some gross things and we've seen some crazy things. I, I just watch anything that Sabu's ever done. <laughs> but very few of those moments make as much sense as this match does in this moment. And very few of them feel as legitimate as this does. Uh, so with that being said, uh, I'm okay with nine as well. Number nine. Well, I'm glad I went last. <laughs> oh boy. There you go. Yeah. So there you go. Number nine. We've ranked 20 matches. Season we, one. We have ranked 20 matches. Wild. 20 down, 80 to go. And I'm so sorry, Spencer. I know you really wanted the Charlotte Sasha Becky to be in the top 10. Very sorry. It's really hurting my feelings. <laughs> I mean, it really is. But I'm holding out hope because I do think another one of my, my favorite matches of all time is going to be in the top 10. I think so. And we'll talk about that when we get there. But, oh, yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, maybe that could be uh, the season two premiere. We'll see what happens. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, but uh, what we have to do first is our season one recap which we will be doing next week. So again, uh, if you totally disagree with us about this match, or if you think this is great and it should be higher, whatever you think, uh, we would like to know about it. We want to know based off of the list of the top 20 so far, and, and we're going to post this list this week uh, on Twitter and on our Patreon. Um, we're going to give it a couple of days to give people time to watch this episode, um, but expect to see this list on, uh, you know, where you can find us, Facebook, Twitter, all that fun stuff. Uh, and if there's one match that you think deserved a lot better or you think is ranked, you know, way too high and is overrated. We want to know what that match is uh, because we want to take all of that into consideration with our season one recap, because like we said, you never know what's going to happen. All we know is that it's been one hell of a fun ride so far through season one. Oh, absolutely. It has. It's been crazy. You know, we've gone through a lot of matches. Uh, we, we've yeah. watched, we've watched uh, 20 wrestling matches spanning, uh, a lot, a lot of decades, uh, and you know we went all the way to Japan, and uh, you know we we've covered NWA matches, WCW matches, uh, ECW matches, obviously WWF, and it's been a wild, wild ride. And we definitely appreciate every single person listening right now, and every single person who hopped on Patreon and and supported us. 
Um, you know, over on Patreon, you can listen to Last Mania Standing, which is a spinoff podcast, which we've had a lot of fun doing. And that we would never have been able to have these uh, conversations uh, without all of you guys uh, offering up these match suggestions and and all of the support. So we really appreciate it. Right. So um, again, you're absolutely right. I I can't wait to see what season two brings us uh, with more of your fan interaction uh, because we when we started this podcast, we set out for it to be one that was made uh, basically with as much help from the fans as possible. And, and we want to keep that up. So I think season two is going to, going to be a lot more of that as well. Bigger, badder, bolder. <laughs> uh, again, thank you to everyone listening. Um, feel free to review us, rate us, share us, uh, interact with us. We want to hear your feedback always, 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 particularly about how your top 20 would look at this particular moment in time with the 20 matches that we've covered. Um, so next week, we can't wait to talk to you about that season one recap. And then we'll see you for season two. Uh, But until then, I'm Spencer. I'm Paul. And I'm Landon. And this is Last Match Standing. Standing.